from the Athanasian Creed. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Well, today is Trinity Sunday, and it's our church's uh, title feast, which is why we should all be very excited right now, because this is the uh, one Sunday a year that, um, again, that our, our, our church is, is named after. And uh, it's also the Sunday each year that we talk about the nature of God as triune, one God and three persons. And I have to tell you that I get so excited about this Sunday because I get to trot out every single theological phrase that I learned in seminary and unload it on you right now. So, buckle up. I'm kidding, I'm not going to do that. Um, but Trinity Sunday is also known as Assistant Sunday because trying to preach on the Trinity is like walking through a minefield of heresies. And that's because it is impossible to describe the Trinity by way of analogy. And you've heard these before, right? We talk about these each year. God is like a three-leaf clover. Well, no, that's, that's, that's a heresy. That's tritheism. You know, God is not three separate persons that share a nature that don't uh, interact or intertwine with each other. You know, I could, you ever hear this from your Sunday school teacher? God is like H2O, you know, water and ice and uh, what, steam or gas? Well, your teacher's a heretic because that's, that's wrong too, right? God doesn't just present himself in three different ways. That's modalism. It's a heresy. In fact, God is like nothing on earth. There's no analogy by which we can talk about God. But there was one creation that was made to be like him one that was formed after his image, as we saw in our text for this morning. You see, you and I were beings that were created after his image and after his likeness. Now, we are no more like him than a drawing that my four-year-old son makes of me is like me, right? Asher, you're great. If you're listening to this later in life, you do a fantastic job, son. Sorry, I realize these are recorded. Um, but the way that we can speak about God is by nature of this relationship. And since relationship is what we're created for, and it's essential to us being a person, this is the lens through which we're going to look at the Trinity today, God of relationship, God of Trinity. So through Scripture, we know that God is three persons, but what does that actually mean, both for God and for us? And so I've got three points to keep us grounded today. All right, point number one the God of love, point number two, the God of gifts, and point number three is people of the gift. Track with me, the God of love, the God of gifts, and people of the gift. So point one, the God of love. Well, one of the first clues that were given in Scripture to the nature of God as Trinity is found in the epistle 1 John, and it says, God is love. Now, we're going to unpack what this actually means for a second, because our current culture is really not a lot of help when we talk about love, right? If I say the word love to you, it's not actually very clear what I mean. I could be referring to the weather. I mean, we live in Vero Beach. I can say that often, right? I could be talking about my truck. Very handy when you do house demolitions to have a truck. I do love my truck. I also love my kids. Maybe not as handy in demolitions as my truck, but they're still wonderful nonetheless, and I like a good hamburger. Now, am I using that word the same way when I talk about all of these things? I hope not, right? My kids hope that I don't love them as much as I love a good hamburger. 
when we talk about love, it's a word that's been kind of cheapened through overuse. And in fact, if I were to try to really dig down and define what we say when we say the word love culturally, I would use um, Carl Rogers, a 1970s psychologist, 1960s, to say the way we talk about love in our culture is, is this idea of unconditional positive regard, this warm feeling that exudes from me like a heat lamp. It shines warmly and indiscriminately against anyone that I come across, and that's love. You know, and that's why we can have people like um, Blippi on my kids' TV shows who can just speak to screens and tell kids that I love you, right? It's like, you don't love, are you going to be paying my kids' college loans? Is that how much you love them? Right? Are you, going to be, are you going to be tucking them in at night when they have nightmares? Is that how much you love them, Blippi from the TV? You know, that's not what love is. But, you know, I think that in our culture when we confuse these things, we're confusing love and mere sentiment. And we're actually creating a culture that fosters this idea of sentiment over actual love. And here's what I mean. I'm going to distinguish between the two, and I'm going to quote Oscar Wilde, who's got a great point on this. He said, A sentimentalist is simply one who wants to have the luxury of an emotion without having to pay for it. We think that we can have our emotions for nothing. We cannot. Even the finest and most self-sacrificing emotions have to be paid for. In cheapening the meaning of love, we have lost the sense of what genuine love requires of us. And if you've been in a relationship for any period of time, you know what I mean. Think about the first time you told your spouse that you loved them. Did you understand what that word means? Did you understand what it would come to mean? What was required of you? What it called you to? The great gift that was given back to you in that love? Or your kids? Or decades-long friendship? Genuine love is not this warm, indiscriminate glow of a heat lamp, but it's the target, purposeful intensity of a laser. It requires an object, and not just any object, but a person. Love cannot exist within a single person. It cannot be contained to a single person. As Aquinas defines it, love is to will the good of the other as other. And so when we talk about God as love as the Trinity, God as three persons, God as this love that is being poured out to the persons of the Trinity, that is what we mean when we say that God is love. The Father loves the Son, loves the Holy Spirit, loves the Father, loves the Son, loves the Holy Spirit, and on it goes. So if God is love, well, how is that love expressed? Well, how is any genuine love expressed? It's expressed through gifts. That is the expression, the action of love, which brings us to our second point, the God of gifts. Now, with Father's Day approaching, I want to reiterate this point. Love is expressed through gifts, right? But seriously, that, that's how we do that. Um, when Amy and I were preparing to get married, uh, we had several people point us to this really helpful book for us uh, for our marriage preparation. It was called um, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Have you heard of this book? Have you familiar with this book? It's been around for a while. And, uh, and, there's, and he talks about the way that we express love uh, in five different kind of ways, right? There's um, words of affirmation, right? There's, uh, there's quality time. There's physical affection. 
there's uh, acts of service, and then these are, there's our, you know, material gifts, right? And each of us give and receive love in, in various different ways, right? Some of us really prefer some to another. My poor wife, I like them all, and so that's a lot of buckets to fill. Sorry, honey. Um, but most people are kind of one or two of these things. Um, and so when we talk about love, though, when we think about this, these ways of expressing it, you'll notice that they're all actually gifts. There's the gift of your time and attention. There's the gift of serving, the gift of praise, the gift of handholding, and maybe even material gifts like, I don't know, golf clubs, right? All of these things are gifts. Love is expressed through gifts. Think about the difference, by the way, and I'm gonna, I want you to uh, stick with me on this. Think about the difference between an exchanges between, we're going to call them a market economy and a gift economy. A market economy is about exchanging commodities of equivalent value, right? So, for example, you have golf clubs. My wife has money. They, you make an exchange based on those perceived values. No, I don't actually want golf clubs. I'm just keeping the joke going. But that's what a market economy is, right? You have, you have, a, you have a, a, an object. I have money. We make an exchange. There's a brief relationship. The relationship is over once the exchange is done. Would you agree? You're tracking with me? Gift economy is totally different. A gift economy is actually nullified once you put a price on the gift. It destroys the gift economy. And here's what I mean. Imagine, for example, actually, I don't have to imagine. This happened on Friday. I was here at the church. My youngest son made himself a name tag. A-S-H-E-R. And you know, when they're four, there's not exact, they're not really in a straight line. Like all the letters are on the name tag somewhere. You kind of get to piece it together like a puzzle. Um, and then he makes me a name tag, spells my name, dad, D-E-D, dad, and comes and hands it to me. I still have it at the house. That's a gift, right? It's a priceless gift. It's precious. But imagine that he were to wise up and he were to say, you know, my dad really likes these things for some reason. And he comes up to me and says, hey, dad, I made you a name tag. That'll be $5, please. Well, now it's actually lost value, hasn't it? It's been commodified. It's no longer an expression of love. Do you see the difference? Or if we go back to love languages. Imagine if I only did acts of service for my wife if she gave me words of affirmation. Is that a gift? Is that an expression of love at that point? Of course it's not. Quid pro quo is a recipe for marital disaster, isn't it? We actually know this, by the way. There was a, a, a Lord bless him, a, um, a psychologist in the 1970s that tried to, to write books about this that said the best marriages are the ones where everybody gives 50%. Guess how long that lasted in popularity, right? You, you see the, the, the spike in divorce rates after that. Um, the value of a gift is not how much is given, but how little is withheld. And that's because gifts are the gifts of self, that you put yourself into a gift. And the more of yourself that's put into a gift through intention, sacrifice, or wholehearted devotion, the more of the self is given. There's this great story that you may have heard of a young woman, young couple, she desperately desired to give her husband a gift, but she had no money. I mean, they were dirt poor. And she saved for months. 
every little bit that she could. She saved for months. She skimped and saved for a year, but she couldn't come close to purchasing this gift for her husband. And what she wanted to give him was this watch chain, and it was beautiful. And the reason she wanted to give this to him is because he had a gold pocket watch that he had inherited from his grandfather that was his, his prized possession. And so she said, you know, I need to find a chain befitting something this beautiful. And Christmas Eve was approaching, and she couldn't do it. She couldn't come up with the money for it. She didn't have money, but she did have one uh, particular asset. She had long, beautiful, luxurious hair. I mean, it was the envy of everyone. And so Christmas Eve, she goes, and she gets her hair cut very short, and she sells her hair in order to afford the price of the chain for the pocket watch. She goes and she purchases it and she comes home and she's excited, but she's nervous, right? Because what's he going to see when he looks at me and I'm going to look different? Is he going to still, you know, love me and have the same affection for me? But maybe he'll be so excited because I have this gift and he'll really appreciate that. And so therefore, you know, it'll all be okay. And so after work, he comes home and he, you know, he opens the door and she kind of meets him in trepidation and he just stops and he looks well, he's got an odd look on his face. He's not horrified. He's not angry. He's just stupefied, we'll say. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. And, of course, her anticipation builds, like, what, you know, what's, what's happening right now? You know, honey, I got, I got you this gift. You know, don't you, don't you like my hair? Like, am I still attracted to you? Like, what, you know, what's basically trying to feel? I'm like, what's happening right now? And he goes and he sits down on the couch and he kind of slumps down for a second and, you know, kind of hangs his head. And she's like, oh, man, this is not what I expected, Right? And then he, he smiles and, he, and he, you know, he, he chuckles for a second. He says, you know, well, let's, let's see, you know, what, what did you, you know, like, what did you bring? So she brings, she opens, and it's this beautiful chain for his pocket watch, you know, and, and he lets out, you know, he smiles a little bit bigger and he says, you know, I have a gift for you too. And he presents her with this beautiful hair comb, one that she had been admiring for a year the only comb that was fit to touch her beautiful head of hair. And she is kind of taken aback, and she said, well, how did you afford this? You know, I've wanted this, for, it's too expensive. And he said, you know, I sold my pocket watch. Yeah, think about that. You know, but see, this is true gift giving, isn't it? Are either of them poor for this exchange? No, of course not. They're infinitely richer. Because true gift giving is the gift of self that's the fullest expression of love. And as the giving of ourselves, I mean, that's what they were doing. Gifts bond us to each other like nothing else. You know, if your marriage is going well, you might buy flowers in gratitude. Hopefully you do, right? Everybody give an elbow. But if your marriage is going well, you might, you might buy flowers just as an expression of the bond that you have, the love that you currently have. But if your marriage isn't going well, what do you do? Well, you buy flowers. Why? To repair the bond that you did have. Do you see how gifts bond us to one another? Gifts create this bond, and they repair bonds. Which is why, by the way, some people, and you might have run across this, anybody ever received or been given a gift that they felt weird about receiving? Has anybody ever been in that position? Maybe you didn't have the strong relationship with the person yet, or it was too much? Gifts bond, and that's why some people will try to use gifts to manipulate or force a bond through a sense of obligation. We have a word for these type of gifts. What do you call a gift that you give to a judge over this presiding over your case? A bribe, right? 
Well, that's because there's a, there's a sense of obligation that comes with gift giving, isn't there? Because there's a bond that it creates between us. Which is why if we go back to Aquinas, the definition of love is to will the good of the other as other. We don't use our gifts for the purpose of manipulation or to subsume people. So then gifts are not only the giving of self, but they're an expression of love that is freely given, a good-willed, free-willed offering. And so when we see this gift-giving spirit in God, this love freely given that creates this bond, we see it in Scripture within the Trinity. That's how we speak about God as love and God of gifts. Listen to how Jesus speaks of the Father in the Gospel of John. Jesus says to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It's a free will praise of love. It's a gift. How the Father speaks to Jesus. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And in John 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit who will come will glorify him. That's what it's like to be in the inner life of the Trinity, this outpouring of love and praise and glory and affection. It's an expression of love that binds. But what does God being love and God being the great gift giver have to do with us? I'm glad you asked. Because that brings us to our third point, people of the gift. If God is love, if he expresses himself through gifts, if the greatest gifts are those that have the most of ourselves in them, and if they're accepted, they create a bond between the gift giver and the receiver, what does that have to do with us? Well, this is the pattern that, in way in which God gives himself to us how he draws us into a relationship with him, how he expresses his love to us, how he bonds us to him and himself to us. We saw in our text that Doug read this morning, in the beginning God created. All of creation was a gift. Our lives were a gift. The world that he made for us is a gift. He gave us life and he gave us paradise. And then even when we sinned, God gave us gifts. He gave us the sacrificial system of Moses. You read it in the Old Testament. This was the system by we offered God gifts of grains and meat and incense, not because he needed those things, but he created the system for us because we needed some way to express our gratitude when our relationship was going well and to repair the bond when it was going poorly. And in, when that proved insufficient to fully unite us with him, what did God do? God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. On the cross, God gave us the gift of himself in the son. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost where God gave the gift of himself in the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and to bond us to this inner life of the Trinity, this outpouring of love that God has and is by his nature. And this is our destination, by the way. This is our purpose, our reason for being, to be united with God in this great gift-giving and love-giving cycle. Jesus prays for this, for his disciples in John 17, right? He says, he prays to God, he says, you know, the Father, that they may all be one, just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in 
us. Bonded through gift, bonded through love. In just a few minutes, God will again offer us to himself through the Eucharist, through his body and blood. Now, God chooses to give himself in this way because the Eucharist, like all sacraments, it's both material and spiritual. And what are we? Material and spiritual. God gives himself to us in this way that we can receive it. And although we're not worthy to receive this gift, it is ours to respond as anyone does when receiving a lavish gift beyond our ability to reciprocate. What do you do when someone gives you something that you could never pay back, that you could never fully reciprocate? All you can do is respond with gratitude and offer back what little we have, which we'll see in the liturgy as ourselves, our souls and bodies. Let us pray. Only Father, you are the great gift giver. And we are so grateful to be the recipients of your gift that you would deign to engage with us in this relationship, that you would bond with us. Lord, help us to be people of the gift. Help us to take your gifts out into the world and to spread them, to give as freely as we have received, as freely as you yourself give to us. It's your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.